Okay, good evening, everybody. We're going to go ahead and get started. Um, good evening and welcome to the September 7th Board of Zoning Appeals meeting. My name is Luke Mortensen and I'm with Catherine Week tonight. She's the staff liaison to the Board of Zoning Appeals. We will work alongside the chair to facilitate tonight's meeting. This meeting is being recorded and broadcast live on the city's YouTube and public access channels. For those of us joining on Zoom, please mute yourself when not actively speaking. Please keep your video on for the duration of the meeting. Um, there will not be screen sharing as a part of the meeting tonight. All attachments, reference materials, and submissions from the public are included in the agenda packet. The chair will call for in-person and virtual public comment for those who wish to speak tonight. Um, to the board members, all motions will need to be stated, cl stated clearly. After a motion is made and seconded, staff will call on each board member individually to provide their vote. Staff will then need to announce whether the motion carried and the count of that vote. Um, I'll now toss to Catherine to determine if we have quorum. Good evening, board members. Um, Catherine Wake, staff liaison. I'm going to go ahead and call quorum. Uh, Hill? Here. <laughs> Herod? Present. Palos? Here. Rankin? Here. Shalinsky? I'm here. Shenuda? Here. And we do have quorum. Thank you very much. All right. Um, we have one main agenda item tonight and uh, a couple little things that we do before that. Um, first item on the agenda is called communications. And um, First, uh, A, uh, are there any communications to come before the board other than the uh, public hearing item? Uh, staff liaison, Catherine Week, we did have additional communications, but they were all uploaded to the packet before 10 a.m. this morning. So. Okay. Um, item B. Uh, disclosure of ex parte communications and or abstentions for specific agenda items. So I would uh, call on the other board members to see if anybody has uh, anything to report or if there's anything that you intend to abstain on. Okay, uh, hearing none, item C, uh, there's only one agenda item, uh, and I'm assuming that it is not being deferred. Um, uh, yes, that's correct. We don't have any items to be deferred this evening. So um, let's move on to the reason why we are all here tonight. Um, the first and only item is the consideration of a variance uh, that is being requested. Item B23002, um, this is um, 
a request for variance from the required density and dimension standards. Um, specifically, uh, the applicant is seeking a variance of uh, exterior side setback distance uh, from 10 feet to zero feet for uh, property at uh, 708 Elm Street, uh, which is the Elizabeth B. Ballard Community Center, the property owner of record. So the way that we proceed, for those of you who are here and are not familiar, uh, first, the uh, Staff will give a report. Uh, then we call upon the applicant to uh, make any presentation. And then we open it up for public hearing. And any member of the public uh, will have the opportunity to make a statement or a comment. Uh, after everyone who has something to say has exercised that opportunity, we close the public hearing and um, then the board considers the matter. So, uh, staff, let's proceed with your report. All right, good evening, everybody. Uh, Luke Mortensen, Planner with Planning and Development Services Department. As Chair Shalinsky just noted, tonight's public hearing item is a variance from the required exterior side setback for a lot in the RSO. That's our single dwelling residential office zoning district. The request is to reduce the required exterior side setback from 10 feet to zero feet for the property address 708 Elm Street. So I'll run through the five basic criteria that are outlined in the staff report. Criteria number one focuses on uniqueness based on a subject property's platting or zoning. The subject property is an approximately 35,000 square foot lot. The property was platted as a portion of North Lawrence and Additions Block 8, which was recorded in 1866. That was 61 years before the adoption of zoning in Lawrence in 1927. The applicant indicates the existing social service agency, and that is the use, designa use designation that our code assigns to the Ballard Center. Um, the, uh, the applicant indicates this uh, building was constructed in 1907. Douglas County records indicate the building was built in 1915. Both construction dates were also before the adoption of zoning in Lawrence in 1927. The applicant successfully rezoned the subject property in 2018 to its current RSO district in order to come into compliance with our land development code and intensify the social service agency with donation drop-off and sorting accessory structures. Both the subject property and the subject stru structure satisfy the RSO district's density and dimensional standards as well as the building setback standards as required by Article 6 of our land development code. The property is generally rectangular, maintains frontage along two public rights of way, Elm Street and North 7th Street, and could support a building addition or second building within the permitted building envelope. 
To conclude this first section, staff recognizes that the Ballard Center has several specific use restrictions and requirements mandated by the state or higher authorities based on its social service agency designation. However, conditions of uniqueness must be based on a property zoning district or plat and staff does not believe that the subject property exhibits those conditions of uniqueness that warrant the reduction of the required exterior side setback. The second criteria focuses on potential adverse effects upon the rights of adjacent property owners or residents. In staff's opinion, the requested variance will not adversely affect the rights of adjacent property owners or residents. A reduced exterior side setback distance would not restrict the adjacent property owners and residents from maintaining their existing detached dwelling, neighborhood religious institution, and active recreation land uses. Staff received staff receive several written communications on this proposed variance, which have been included uh, in the staff report. Criteria number three focuses on unnecessary hardship. In staff's opinion, strict adherence to the Land Development Code would not constitute an unnecessary hardship as specifically defined by Section 20-1701 of our Land Development Code, which is included in the staff report. The proposed variance request would be a solution to a design and engineering preference rather than a relief mechanism to mitigate an arbitrary and capricious interference with an applicant's basic right of property ownership and does not deprive the applicant of its property owner of its property without compensation. The subject property and subject structure could remain a code compliant social service agency even if this variance request is denied. Criteria four focuses on the effects to the public health, safety, morals, order, convenience, prosperity, or general welfare. In staff's opinion, granting the requested variance will not create an adverse impact upon the above listed items. The request in question is contained within the parcel owned by the applicant. It would not create any, sp any spillover noxious effects to the surrounding area. So the fifth and final criteria focuses on the general spirit and intent of the Land Development Code. In staff's opinion, approval of this variance is inconsistent with the spirit and intent of the Land Development Code. The variance process is intended to equalize the development process for properties that exhibit unique conditions and mitigate hardships caused by strict adherence to our Land Development Code, regardless of an applicant's land use designation. The code provides limited relief mechanisms for exceeding the required setback distances, such as the setback exception for certain architectural features like cornices, canopies, and overhangs, which may be located up to two feet into the required setback. Additionally, planning staff have interpreted the abutting John Taylor Park's Walnut Street frontage as its front setback and North 7th Street as its exterior side setback, even though the park's frontage along North 7th Street is significantly longer. This interpretation means the subject property and John Taylor Park are considered rear-to-rear -rear lots rather than rear-to-side lots and allows the subject property, the Ballard, the Ballard Center, to utilize a reduced 10-foot exterior side setback rather than, a, rather than the 25-foot setback. Staff recognizes the applicant's desire and need to expand its current social service agency operations beyond its existing footprint. Additionally, the city is appreciative of the Ballard Center's legacy of public service. However, staff does not believe the request satisfies all five criteria required to obtain a variance. 
As stated before, the variance process is intended to equalize the development process such that remarkably unique properties can establish code compliant land uses in a comparable manner to other code compliant land uses in the same zone or district. The request at hand is preferred design or engineering alternative rather than a final and last resort relief mechanism required to establish a code compliant use at this property. To conclude, staff recommends denial of the requested variance to reduce the required exterior side setback for a lot in the RSO district for the property addressed as 708 Elm Street. With that, I'll wrap up um, and note to the board members that our applicant is with us tonight. And obviously, there are several folks here to speak towards this item as well. All right, thank you. Um, I would like to uh, ask the board members at this time, does uh, anybody have any questions for staff? Uh, there do not appear to be any questions at this time. So uh, let's hear from the applicant. Good evening, and thank you for the opportunity to be here. Uh, thank you to staff, Luke and Catherine. Thank you to the board. Thank you to everybody for your time. Um, we understand why we're here. Um, we understand the really um, rigid black and white interpretation that um, staff has provided, and we appreciate the opportunity to come here and plead our case um, uh, for why this variance is needed. Um, I'm going to briefly recap, recap some of the things um, that oh, actually all of the points, all of the criteria that Luke brought up um, and um, give our interpretation of them. Um, so the five that he mentioned, um, there's, there's a lot of things that I was, I was going to say about. I didn't introduce myself. My name's Connor Trainer. Um, I'm the architect for the project. Um, I have a long personal relationship with Ballard Center, but in my capacity tonight, I'm just speaking as the architect. I'm giving you all the technical facts as we see them. Um, so, number one, variance request arises from such conditions that are unique to the property in question and are not ordinarily found in the same zoning district and are not created by actions of the property owner or the applicant. So, as Luke mentioned, we are RSO, which is basic, it's basically a residential zoning uh, with an office component. Um, we're completely surrounded by... Sure. You can, there's a button on the side, you can lift the podium. Okay. Is this better? Thank you. Okay, you're welcome. Um, so RSO in the middle of a residential neighborhood. Um, on the surface, uh, that is unique. It doesn't, it doesn't cause any undue hardship. But what um, the special use permit and the rezoning in 2018 um, to have this um, institutional use of uh, daycare, or pantry, um, the offices, all the things that Ballard does in the community. Um, one of the main functions on the site, there's, there's lots of areas on the site that if you're looking at just a bird's eye view that this building could be placed, that the addition could be placed. Um, but um, the first one um, is the playgrounds and back. So we have two playgrounds. The reason for that is um, IBC International Building Code requires them as well as KDHE, the Kansas Department of Health and Environment. So um, we would love to, um, 
condense those playgrounds into one, but we can't. Actually, we would, we would not love to, even if we could. <laughs> we want the kids to have their own playgrounds, um, to have their own playground space. That pretty much takes up the whole southern portion of the site. Um, to the northeast, we have an existing parking lot. Um, in theory, we could relocate that parking to a different part of the site to where we're going to put the addition. But if we did that, then the new addition would be encroaching on the neighborhood to the east. And so we're, where we've placed it to the west, um, I wish we had a site plan up here, but um, is a public street. We're not encroaching on any homes, um, on any businesses, or any other uses. Um, we're just going all the way to the property line. Um, and I'll describe, I'll describe why. So. Um, so that's the uniqueness of this property and a unique condition that was not created by uh, the owner or the applicant. The location of the playgrounds and the parking that are currently on site. Um, I have another bullet point in the packet that has structural parameters of the existing building, but I'll get that. I'll get to that in another um, another topic. So. Um, Condition two, two, we completely agree um, with staff that this uh, does not adversely affect the rights of adjacent property owners um, or residents. Be happy to answer questions on that at any time afterwards, but um, for now I'll uh, move on to number three. <coughs> so number three is the unnecessary hardship uh, criteria. Um, Full text, strict application of the provisions of this chapter for which the variance is requested would constitute unnecessary hardship upon the property owner represented in the application. And a part that I don't have down here is that it cannot be a financial hardship. Um, so locating this addition uh, directly adjacent to the existing building does create a gigantic financial hardship, but I'm um, I'm going to talk about a couple others um, since the financial hardship uh, cannot be part of the criteria. Um, first, it's due to the existing site conditions that I just spoke about in point one. So the existing parking location um, and the existing playground locations. Um, this is basically the only spot the building can go on the site. Um, in order to maximize the building footprint of just under 1,850 square feet, um, to, we need we need twice as much building footprint as that, but for the existing size of the current Ballard Center, the 1,850 square foot building is about as big, is is as big as we can get. So the only place that it can be located on this site is where it is up next to the property line for the next two for the next two um, reasons that I'm about to speak to. Um, First is that, or second, I guess, is that the uh, um, application of the code constitutes an unnecessary hardship due to safety risks. So if we, look, if, we look, if we separate the building as we would like to and create a 10-foot separation, we can build a construction fence all the way around the building, make sure none of the kids go onto the construction site, none of the staff accidentally go over, or any of the uh, patrons of the pantry, and create a completely safe and secure site. Once we built but the new addition up to the new building, um, I'm going to speak to this later as well, but we're cutting off um, an egress corridor from the building, and we're probably going to greatly impact the function of the building, the daycare, the pantry, and the office space inside the building. Um, they're going to have um, an incredibly unnecessary hardship on operating the building. Um, and that's, uh, well, I guess let me finish on the um, safety risk. The safety risk is not only um, 
the um, safety during construction of the building, but for you know five to ten years after the building is built, or indefinitely after the building is built. You know, no structural engineer is telling us right now that even if we dig down 12 to 16 feet and put the um, footings and foundations way down at the bottom of the existing footing and foundations, they can't guarantee that there won't be differential settlements of the two foundation systems from the one built 110 years ago to the brand new one. Um, if differ differential settlement were to occur, then that could lead to cracking, um, all kinds of um, um, adverse um, effects on the, the building where uh, the children are going to school, people are working, um, and so on. Um, so it's a current safety risk, it's a future safety risk, um, and it's incredibly expensive. Um, the last condition um, I hinted at, <clears throat> excuse me, were the significant operational challenges that will be present during construction. Construction closes Ballard due to an inability to maintain emergency exits, pantry service, um, and will also require a shutdown of building services. Ballard closure impacts kindergarten, kindergartner readiness, uh, the ability of these kids to be ready for kindergarten um, in the com community. And Ballard's pantry closure increases food insecurity in our community and creates a food desert in North Lawrence. Um, these things are unavo unavoidable if we're building uh, directly um, next to the existing building. So in summary, the unnecessary hardship, while financial, um, are also in the building site constraints, the safety during and after construction, and the operational challenges um, that would be present for the 12 months plus or minus of construction. Um, Condition four, that uh, the variance does not ad adversely affect the public health, safety, morals, or order, convenience, prosperity, and general welfare. We agree uh, that it does not, so I won't say anything more, but happy to answer questions afterwards. Um, and the final, uh, final condition is um, that, excuse me, that we ask you to agree that this variance aligns with the general spirit and intent of the code. There's two pri primary purchases, purposes of the development code. Um, one, to maintain a uniform building plane, which this does. Um, there's probably a dozen um, uh, lots in the minute, immediate vicinity in North Lawrence that have buildings that go all the way to the property line. This will be no different. Second, to preserve room for road and utility expansion. There's nothing, uh, this building going all the way to the property line does not, I mean, in the off chance, um, you know, years and years from now, if there's ever, if that road is ever expanded or the utilities are replaced, this building won't be in the way. Um, so that, um, that's, you know, uh, <laughs> The long and short of condition five, uh, that this variance aligns with uh, the general spirit and intent of the code. Um, so in summary, uh, there are conditions that are unique and not caused uh, by the owner or applicant. It will not be a detriment to the neighborhood. A strict application of the code constitutes unnecessary hardships due to the existing site constraints, safety, and uh, operate, and safety risk and operational detriment during construction. Um, Ballard benefits our community at large, number four, and number five, the proposed design aligns with the general spirit and intent of the code. So thank you again um, 
for allowing us this time. Um, I think now uh, my friend Kyle Rogenkamp is going to come up. Um, and well, uh, before that, let's see whether any board members have any questions for sure. you. Sure. Explain to me what, when you say safety risks after the new construction, what, what risks are there that, that you see with the new construction? So the building is never going to, neither building is ever going to fall down. But we can't, a structural engineer can't guarantee that differential settlement will not occur. So differential settlement means we have this 110-year-old building that's, you know, 10 times heavier than the slab on grade building that's going right next to it. And so we know some of the subsoil, subsurface soil conditions, but we don't know all of them. And so when the, these buildings settle over time, all buildings do. And when they touch each other, they have building elements that touch, and that could lead to cracking of the foundation and therefore cracking of the walls all the way up. So um, we're going to be disturbing the soils in order to get down to the depth that we need to be in order to build the um, addition. And so nobody can really guarantee how the buildings are going to settle after construction is complete. So the safety risk would be if the building does crack all the way up, then it's got to be shut down. We have to come in and shore it um, and fix the building. But that happens with any new construction. It settles eventually, correct? It does. Um, but this, but there's if, if we have the variance, then um, we wouldn't have to build directly next to it. We could keep our soil preparation to 10 feet away from the building. And this is on slab, not on, not, you're not putting a basement or anything? Not in the new addition, correct. I have a question. Yes. Uh, do you have an elevation of the building, a drawing? Um, it's not in the packet. We only have site plans in the packets. We do have elevations. Um, well, I'm just, I, I wasn't certain. Is it actually connected to the building, the existing building? Is there a passageway of some kind? As it's currently drawn, it's connected to the existing building, and there's an egress path that will have to go through the new building in order to get outside. Okay. If we're able to separate them, then the current egress path remains exactly how it is now. Which is if you get the variance. Is what Which is saying. if we get the variance. And if you didn't have the variance, you, you would try to abut it against the building? Um, we, it's too expensive to abut it next to the building. Um, we just can't afford it, honestly. Uh, we can't afford all the over-excavation that will take place. Um, so we're going to have to rethink a lot of things if we don't get the variance. Um, if you were to build the building, maintain the separation from the existing building, and follow the 10-foot setback, um, how much of the 1,800 square feet being proposed would you lose? Um, if we were to keep the new, the six new parking spaces that we're building with it and not alter those, it would be, um, let's see, it'd be about 10 feet by 40, about 400 feet. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. 
And um, how much does the center feel that it needs? Um, I think the well, probably the 18 and then some, but do you have a number that you that people have kicked around? Um, I think the need for 1,800 feet and more is absolute. Um, I'll, I'll let Kyle speak to that, but I don't think there's a way to describe how much they need uh, all 1,800 feet. More if we could get it, but it, that truly doesn't fit code. So. Okay. Thank you. Uh, any other board members have questions? Okay. Uh, I, I do have one more question. Oh, go ahead. The, the additional parking, I think there is it six spaces. Yes. Is that to meet uh, city code? Yes. Is it? And I know you guys use the parking lot of the John Taylor Park as well. O overflow, um, yeah. but technically we can't uh, to meet okay. zoning and city code. Yeah. Okay. All right. Kyle, can we bring Kyle up? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yep. Thank you. All right. I'm going to raise this if you don't mind. I just want to play with the fancy button, to be honest. All right, my name's Kyle Rogenkamp. I'm with the Ballard Center. It's a pleasure to be here tonight. Um, the first thing I want to do is thank everyone in this room for being here. I know there's a little thing called the Kansas City Chiefs. I think they just kicked off and raised a banner. So what I see in this room is a group of people that are more dedicated to their community than, than most. So thank you, city staff. Thank you, board. And thank you, everyone in this room for being here. Um, I kind of want to rewind a little bit and just speak for a little bit about Ballard's trajectory over history and what's kind of brought us to this point today, why we're here at this hearing. Um, Lucas is correct. Ballard was built in 1915. We are amazing at helping people, but terrible at counting. I apologize. Um, the, the original use of the building was for um, a school for black children before segregation ended. Um, it was a part of Woodlawn. Woodlawn expanded in the early 60s, and the famous Anna Petey Cerf bought the building and named it after her mother, Elizabeth B. Ballard. Uh, Petey Cerf, if you're not familiar, it's just incredible philanthropist in our community. Uh, William, Bill Dan, her son, um, carried on the legacy. Um, she also started agencies such as Cottonwood out on the other side of town. Amazing woman. Um, 1965, the Ballard Center first opened their doors as a nonprofit in North Lawrence. Um, it's pretty incredible. The majority of Ballard Center programs that still exist to this day were started by women in our community that were on the welfare system and were basically sick and tired um, of not getting the support that they deserved and they said we're going to do a better job ourselves. So we started with the early education program which we still carry on today. Um, over the years we've, we've layered it with human services such as crisis funding, rent and utility assistance, um, the North Lawrence Improvement Association I believe started through work at the Ballard Center so um, you can thank us for for the infamous Ted Boyle. Um, <laughs> 
I was hoping he'd be here for this moment. Um, <laughs> so Ballard is, you know, changing lives since 1965. That's what we always say. But if you look at our resources and our staff, and you were to make an educated assumption on what our outcomes and outputs would be in a year, what the impact would be in our community, they'd be right here. But if you look at what we actually accomplish every year, it's Claire over here. Reverse it for me if you're looking at me, like you're measuring a fish. <laughs> and a lot of people ask, how do you do that? How do you take this amount of resources and have this impact? Well, that area between the fish in there, that's where the magic happens. It's the volunteers. It's the businesses in our community. It's even our clients. It's the dedicated work of our staff. It's the people sitting in this room. You know, these aren't Ballard staff. There's a couple, but these are people that give their time and talent to the benefit of our agency. So tonight, I firmly believe that when you look at what Ballard is supposed to accomplish and what we do accomplish, and you look at that magic in the middle, you guys have a great opportunity to be a part of that tonight. Um, and I know you take that opportunity seriously and I appreciate that. So I wanna kinda talk about the growth we've experienced over the past handful of years and why we're at a point where we are beyond desperate for this addition. Um, our services have outpaced our space for a long time, but if you go back to 2021, I believe we served 172 households with crisis funding. Those are households facing eviction, utility disconnect, uh, maybe their vehicle broke down so they couldn't get to work anymore or get their kids to childcare. Um, in the matter of one year, we looked back at the numbers and in 2022, I believe we ended up serving 547 households with crisis funding. 167% increase in one year while we just started a capital campaign for renovations and this addition. So in the same year, we had to raise an additional $900,000 for an addition and for all the renovations that the historical building needed to be as safe and accessible as possible. We tripled our crisis funding output. Um, the same thing with our, our food, clothing, diaper, hygiene product pantry. In one year, we went from about 4,000 household members to about 7,000 household members. Um, we made this incredible leap in service capacity. And we did it because of the amazing people in this community. We didn't hire more staff. We didn't spend more money. Please keep in mind, all of this took place. None of our crisis funding, none of our operation funding comes from the federal budget, the state budget, the county budget, or the city budget. We got a one-time shot in the arm for this addition through ARPA funding, $400,000. That's earmarked for the building only. Everything else we do is because of this community. When Ballard was established, we were called the nittiest, grittiest, most grassroots agency in Lawrence. And 65 years later, it's still the truth. We are owned and operated by this community and without people in this community, people like yourselves, we would fail miserably. Um, Ballard is a beautiful place. And if you've never been down there, I hope you will come down and meet us and spend some time with us. Um, 
Here's the thing, in 2023, the need's even greater. The need's always great. The need always outpaces the resources. But we're on pace to outperform our crisis funding, our pantry, our childcare numbers, as we did in 2022. We thought we just had an incredible year where we did everything right for those we serve in this community. What we're learning is we're gonna sustain this growth and outcomes. You think of those 547 households in 2022, I'd say at least 150 of those were facing eviction. Families that could have ended up over at the tent city um, that, that the city of Lawrence is getting such good publicity for recently. Um, we do homeless prevention day in and day out at the Ballard Center. And when the city and county shift their focus to supporting agencies that are working with the houseless after they become houseless, places like Ballard, got cut out of the mix. Um, with that reality, we still increased our services. Um, when it comes to helping people, we will not be denied. So let's get to safety at Ballard, which is a part of our request tonight. So we do human services and we have the early education program. Our early education program is very unique because it is tailored to low-income households. Um, we have the lowest rates in town. A lot of children that attend the Ballard Center we're working with through scholarships or through just footing the, the bill ourselves while they get on their feet, while they work with us. Um, with that comes a great potential and what we've seen is we are caring for a lot of children that have been kicked out of other centers, either for non-payment of tuition or because of behavioral issues. Usually those behavioral issues are tied to some very deep trauma that they have experienced. So when I say child safety at Ballard is incredibly important to us, I'm not talking about just keeping the kids safe under our care. I'm talking about sometimes keeping the kids safe from the abuse that they're currently experiencing while we're working to get them out of an abusive home. I'm talking about children who show up at our door with two broken arms and their hair pulled out, and we're trying desperately to get them placed with the grandparents so that they can escape the abuse. So when I say child safety, I'm not just saying safe while they're at the center, I'm saying safe while they're in our community. Some of the kids at Ballard are only safe those 10 and a half hours that we're open. Um, that's why our teachers and our staff are superheroes, because they witness trauma on a daily basis. Um, Let's start with the last couple years, and we went through this capital campaign, we relied on our volunteers, and we decided to enhance our child safety at Ballard. It started with our playground. You know, you used, we used to have wood mulch. It was an injury hazard. If you've ever been in North Lawrence, if you live in North Lawrence, you know the mosquitoes are world famous over by the river. Um, our kids were getting bitten up each and every day. Um, we had a retired two-star general that is currently on our board dedicate 400 hours of volunteer time um, and network in this community to get us a completely excavated playground, a new drainage system to get all the water out of there, weed fabric, and 50,000 pounds of blue rubber mulch. So now when the kids fall, they bounce. They don't hit hardwood mulch. Now when it rains, the water doesn't pool up. There's no more mosquito bites. You know, no more of that Zika, that West Nile, all of that stuff. So that was kind of step one to safety. Step two was we had this old ramp for ADA compliance into the building. And it was so long, the whole building and back. It was like asking someone in a wheelchair to climb a mountain. On top of that, the exit from a classroom out to the playground was underneath the platform that went into the building at the top where the ramp ended. 
um, and it was spalling. So chunks of concrete were falling that could have severely injured a child, a staff, so we couldn't use that exit point. Um, so what we did is through our capital campaign, we demolished the entire ramp, we got rid of all the platform that had the concrete falling, um, and we put in a brand new deck and we installed a lift. So now if someone with a wheelchair comes to Ballard, they have an outdoor elevator to get into the building. Now the children can use the door to go directly to the playground without anything, any risk of anything following on them. So injury prevention, getting rid of that danger zone, and now we're truly wheelchair accessible. Um, another safety issue that we deal with often is just the security of the building. So historically, Ballard would be open two hours in the morning, two hours in the afternoon for parents to pick up and drop off. That's, that's very standard at you know, an early education facility. Um, but we also have three to four households coming in for rent and utility assistance every day. We have 12 to 18 pantry clients coming in every day. We give each household in our pantry 30 minutes to trauma-informed models so they can shop alone with their children. Um, and with that door being open, there was just a security risk. So what did we do? We used more of our funding that we raised to uh, have enhanced access control. We moved our pantry to a different area of the building. Um, we put our front doors on 24-7 lockdown, and now each parent has their own code to get into the building. But what this does is it makes a safer environment, but it doesn't get us all the way there. Our pantry clients still need to use the restroom. They have to be monitored the, monitored the entire time they go to and from the restroom. Um, I don't think that's okay for their experience, and I don't think it's acceptable for the early childhood education center that's in that building. Um, it takes time and effort away from teachers, from staff having to do that. And let me just share a story about how even though we have unique access codes for all the parents, even though the building's on 24-7 lockdown, about why it is so important that our addition is separate from our main building. We had a child come to Ballard Center, and a handful of weeks before he came to the Ballard Center, I'm sure you read it in the paper, he found a firearm in his home and accidentally shot and killed his baby brother. He's only three years old. When he was a year old, he found heroin on the coffee table and overdosed. He was still in that home. When he came to the Ballard Center, he was scared of his own shadow and incredibly violent. But through the therapy and supports that we provide, we were able to help him cope with his trauma, with his emotions. Um, we were able to work our tails off to get that child out of that home and in a safe placement with a relative that was stable and functional. But the family that lost custody of him, rightfully, was still trying to get access to him. So they signed up for our pantry under a fake name, an alias. Now our pantry is run by one of the most dedicated staff I've ever met, Claire, and about 15 to 20 volunteers that rotate through. So you think 7,000 family members in one year using our pantry, one paid staff. Everyone else is a volunteer. That's the Ballard way. But that mother got into our pantry and tried to use it to access her child. Keep in mind, we have a locked door between the pantry and the early education department. 
but she was one doorway away from that child that had been through that level of abuse. That's not acceptable. Um, with the separation of the two buildings, that changes that, that takes that away. And that's just one example of why we need the separation. Um, the addition is the last piece of our safety puzzle. You know, that capital campaign got us a new roof so that water's not getting into the classrooms anymore, so that paint's not chipping, which is a KDHE violation because it's not safe for the kids. The first 40 grand we raised for our capital campaign, the next week our HVAC system went out. It was so old. We were able to replace it. This is the first summer on record where it didn't get super hot in the Ballard Center. It was awesome. Um, we were able to remodel our kitchen, which was falling apart, so that our chef that does three meals a day for the kids had a functioning workspace. Um, this addition is the last piece to our safety puzzle. Um, so in 2021, the American Rescue Plan was passed, you know, COVID. Um, Douglas County awarded us $4,000 earmarked for the addition. And unlike many other applicants, we knew that we wanted to raise money outside of that ARPA funding for our addition. Um, there were other applicants that had $400,000 for furniture. <laughs> so true Ballard style, we want skin in the game, we want to work our tail off, and we want to not just lean on that government funding, which we take very seriously to get us there. Um, CT Design and Development, Connor, who spoke earlier, he's a part of that, that magic. His firm is doing this work pro bono, um, and we're so grateful for it. Um, Ballard's been a, Connor's been a part of the Ballard family for, for a long time. Um, he's near and dear to us. So our original plan was for a detached building, but then we got our survey results back, and we figured out our property line wasn't where we thought it was. So then we had to, with the setback, go for attached. Then we get our pricing back for an 1,800-square-foot building, $1.1 million because of all the concrete to get down to the existing footings of the old building. Um, and then we realized we're being put in a position we don't want to be in. If these are connected, it's not safe. It's not safe for the kids, not safe for the clients. And, and that's, that's why we're here tonight. Um, children are our number one priority. Having a dedicated building, all of Ballard is rededicated to education once this addition's built. We need it desperately. Right now we have therapists meeting with children in hallways. Um, our executive director office is used for therapy more than it is for an office. Um, once, once human services are out in this addition, we can use the current pantry space to make confidential office spaces for the therapists that are on site daily working with our kids. Um, emergency services, you've, you've seen our growth. You've seen what we've done in the span of a year and that we've maintained it the next year. Um, our services have outpaced our space for a very long time. Um, talked about the private office for the therapist. You know, we, we have professionals on site every day of the week. We have a few kids at Ballard that are autistic and Autism Aware is on site every day working with them, helping us work magic with those kids. We have play therapists, occupational therapists, speech therapists that all come on site and donate their time to help the kids of this community. Um, the new detached new building gets that physical separation between the children and the emergency service clients. 
It allows our teachers and staff to focus on their roles instead of monitoring people while they're in the building. Um, it can prevent the spread of illness and disease from clients to children and vice versa. Um, it re reduces the threat of violence. I mean, think of that mom who was an active user and violent, had a weapon, and was at that door six feet away from where her kid was. If we have a separation with two buildings, it's just so much safer. Um, let's see here, what do we got next? We, Connor talked about uniqueness. You know, KDHE requires us to do so many things with, with our building, with our playground that make us a very unique property in that area. We're the only early education center um, that's not an in-home daycare in North Lawrence. We're the only accessible pantry in North Lawrence. North Lawrence is notoriously a food desert. North Lawrence is a resource desert um, and has been for way too long. Um, I hope you all received the support letter that was signed by, I believe, 212 people. Um, we had a few more dropped off afterwards, but we missed the 10 a.m. deadline, and I didn't want to make city staff run around and attach them. So I think we ended up getting closer to 250 signatures. That's all the neighbors. That's the parents of the kids at the center. That's pantry clients. That's the North Lawrence Improvement Association. We have engaged our entire North Lawrence community to make sure they are aware of what we are trying to accomplish, and they are all for it. I mean, the neighbors right across the street on both sides, they love this idea. Um, you know, we believe that our variance request meets all five conditions of the land development code. You know, our neighbors believe it, our clients believe it, the Ballard parents believe it. Um, and I just want to say one more thing before I stop taking your time that I appreciate so much. I was watching a planning commission discussion about a variance request and one of the same variables was it not being a financial hardship. Every dollar outside of our capital campaign that we have to raise to put towards this addition is a dollar we can't spend on our clients. The average investment for either a child care scholarship or crisis funding for eviction pre prevention, utility disconnect, the average investment per household is about $1,000. So even though a hardship can't be financial for an entity, when it's a nonprofit, it's, it's a little different because that hardship is felt by the entire community. Um, a difference between a million dollar building and a $500,000 building, it's 500 families that don't get the support that they deserve. Um, and when I watched the Planning Commission a while ago and, and I saw one of the board members say, you know, sometimes in life you have to put the choice on the scales and you just have to decide which choice has greater public harm. And in the spirit of that Planning Commission board member and the rest of the board who initially approved the request um, that was not recommended by the staff and showed great leadership, um, I ask that you act in that same spirit tonight. Um, because we do amazing things at Ballard, but we can't do it without the support of this community. Um, as my mentor Becky always tells me, um, when we're together, anything is possible. And if you don't believe that, come on down to Ballard and get to know us. Thank you for your time. I appreciate you. Thank you. Any questions or? That was exactly what I was going to ask. Okay, I almost ran away. Are there any questions? Yeah.
I'm off the hook that easy? Yeah. Uh, apparently, there could be some later, so stick around. Okay, right on, right on. Thank you all for your time, very much. Thank you. Okay, um, we will now open public comments. Anyone from the public wishing to speak? Come on up. Good evening, Barry. Good evening. Um, and good evening, board. My name is Greg Gardner. Um, at the end of my military career, I was the, the general that did the blue rubber mulch playgrounds during COVID. Um, and, you know, fixed toilets and uh, water heaters and hung curtains, built shelves, uh, pulled weeds. Um, in the end of my military career, I served as the adjutant general uh, in Kansas. That's commander of the Army and the Air National Guard, the uh, director of emergency management and homeland security. So I began preparing Kansas for terrorism before 9-11. We did security assessments on uh, 20 plus critical infrastructures that terrorists would have used in a 9-11 kind of incident. And I'm telling you that because it has to do with security. After I retired, I became, uh, I went to the Department of Homeland Security. I was a regional director in the center of the country, and I supervised protective security advisors in nine states, North Dakota, South Dakota, Nebraska, Iowa, Kansas, Missouri, Oklahoma, Arkansas, and Texas. I was also certified as what's called a certified protection professional, which in the United States, that's a, a security, uh, nationally recognized security um, certification. So I supervised the folks, I did security assessments, and I supervised the protective security advisors that did it in those nine states. And I say that because what I'm gonna say next, I'm hoping you see me as a credible witness. So I made and recommended security measures for Ballard that were also reinforced by local law enforcement. Some of the things that, that Kyle talked about tonight. Um, so I can't overstate the importance of constructing a separate building, not connected, a separate building. It ensures that the pantry and the emergency services clients who are unrelated adults to the preschool children don't have, ever have access to the building. It is better to be a physically separated building than a connected building because a door in a connected building can easily be breached by a polite person who opens the door because we are, especially in this part of the country, somewhat polite, and have what we call uh, tailgating. So a separate building is the best way to secure it and keep the unrelated adults away from the children. A separate building also keeps any um, client who brings an illness or a disease from getting to the children and the reverse. It also is the best way to prevent an act of violence that might relate to the children. 
So that's my bit about the safety for the children. Let me, let me talk about the building that we wanted a separate building to begin with because it provided all those things. A connected building has multiple problems. I talked to two builders. They said building connected to a hundred plus year old building, which you have no idea how, how the structure of that wall is, it can collapse. And especially if you dig all the way down past the basement to start building your footings and all the concrete back up. So it's a risky thing to begin with in the construction business. The fact that if you saw the picture in your, your uh, packet, it has the natural gas and the HVAC and the emergency exit, that goes away. Well, what happens when you remove it? Well, you can't operate a preschool without the natural gas or without the HVAC, so it means it closes. And the impact during the close, closure is much like the impact when we had a we were forced to close during COVID, and I'm not even gonna talk about that. There's another person that's gonna talk about that from a personal experience. So, the bottom line is denying the variance forces us to build a connected building, which is unsafe for the children, a risk of construction and failure, shutdown of the operations of the uh, Ballard Center for what period of time we don't know and um, it's just to me that is arbitrary and capricious and represents a unnecessary hardship. Thank you. My name is Michelle Cronister. Um, I serve on the board of directors for the Ballard Center currently as the board chair. I'm here to share with you the real and significant impact on our children and families if we have to shut down for any period of time for future renovation, which would be if we connected the buildings. I've seen firsthand the trauma impact, the traumatic impact of having our do doors temporarily closed. You see, the majority of our children are from low income and or families that have been or are currently in crisis. Ballard not only gives these children a safe, stable learning environment, but these families are currently being guided through wraparound and case management services. Many of our custodial parents or guardians have no safe alternatives as we have, as we have experienced. If a parent has to choose between keeping a job and leaving their child in a questionable situation, they most often will choose to keep the job, and rightly so. If they miss a couple days of work, best case scenario is they can't pay a bill or rent. If they work, maybe a child misses a few meals, is neglected, or in some cases is physically or sexually abused, but they can still pay the rent. We have unfortunately seen all of the above. I personally, have seen all of the above working with the Ballard Center. I cannot impress upon each of you how much each and every day that our doors are open matters. 
We were the only childcare slash preschool open during COVID for a reason. And while our doors were mandated to be closed, we worked tirelessly to try to keep eyes on our children and families. It wasn't good enough. We had a huge increase in unreported abuse that came to light later. I remember the first box of food I delivered to a family. At first, they wouldn't answer the door, but when I left the box on the porch and started walking away, they opened the door. I heard this kid's voice excitedly screaming, bananas, strawberries. <laughs> At first, my heart was so full that I was able to give him that experience, but the reality soon dawned on me that every child should have access to good food. I recognized the boy because I'd interacted with him at Ballard before, and I was really happy to see him again. In retrospect, I now know that the person that opened that door that day is the person that sexually abused him while his mother was at work because we were closed. That little boy and our children and families are why I'm here tonight instead of watching the game with my husband. <laughs> but really, the bottom line is the Ballard Center, it's not just a child care preschool, it is a trauma-informed care center, and every child and family matters every single day. Thank you. Thank you for your time and consideration. Thank you. Good evening, Mr. Chairman, Commissioners. I'm Paula Martin, a longtime donor and um, volunteer at the Ballard Center since 1981. It was my first board when I graduated from law school, and I'm still there on a weekly basis. The things they do for this community are invaluable. And by allowing this building to go through with this variance will allow them to continue their services um, even more effectively to reach more families, to keep more children safe. The neighbors are in support of it. We've heard no one speak against it. And I just want to add my voice to those who spoke before and say I, I urge you to grant this variance for Ballard to continue their services to our community. Thank you. Hi there. I'm Claire Gallagher and I manage the pantry. And I wanted to bring up something that may sound like a little bit more mundane of a consideration. Um, because I heard one of the board talk about the space, the 1,800 square feet, and maybe, you know, we didn't, maybe we could do without some of it. Um, I manage the pantry, and I'm here to tell you that the 1,800 square feet is desperately needed and barely adequate. Um, and there is one population that is not able to get handicapped access, and that is our pantry clients. Perhaps you could argue about whether the building could go somewhere else or anywhere else, but where we want to put it is the best place for it, and it's the way we're going to get service to our clients the quickest. That's my perspective from, uh, from looking at it. 
Um, and I think that at the end of the day, you need to think about not, we're not here helping Ballard. We're helping the people that Ballard helps. And we can give them much better service if we have that building. And we need to have it as quickly as possible. Thank you for listening. Thank you. <clears throat> Any other public comment? We have a Zoom public comment if you're ready. Oh. Kevin, we'll get to you in just a minute. Well, did I skip some? No, we'll, we like to do all in person first and then we'll go to Zoom. So thank you. Um, and I'm a surprise witness, perhaps, for some. Um, so I am Lourdes Gobella, and I um, trabajo para una organización que está acogida por Ballard, que se llama Somos Lawrence. And I lost you already, right? This is what happens to many of the people who are coming increasingly to centers, specifically like Ballard, uh, that have um, and to the pantry, and where Claire has done an amazing job to learn Spanish, because the, the fastest growing population and the fastest school population, growing school population, are Spanish speakers. Lawrence hasn't totally woken up to that, but Ballard has. With us, they are not equipped to really handle this growth, uh, but as Somos Lawrence, as a volunteer-based organization, they have given us a wonderful little home from which we can help translate and we can help um, steer people to the services and so forth. And as Kyle said, I, <laughs> I am amazed at the job they do. I had no idea about Ballard, and I've lived in Lawrence off and on my entire life, which is like 150 years. <laughs> and <laughs> off and on. And it is a, really a labor of love. I mean, I walk in every day and I wonder, how are they going to make it? But they do, and they work hard, and everybody's there helping. And I, as a Somos Lawrence volunteer and co founder, um, I'm, I'm extremely appreciative. Of the, of the fact that they are aware of the need to expand services. Most Spanish-speaking families coming through the pantry first. In fact, they didn't have an idea of all the other services, and they are now being able to access it, access them, but they used to call it the pantry center, the pantry center, because that's what they knew, right? And so I think that if you, have been, if you have not been to Ballard, I understand, I very much understand the staff and the technical kinds of reports they have to do. But if you don't walk through that building, and I did it again today, I said, show me again, you won't understand why that space is so needed. And it is so important to do that. I also want to talk now, forget my Somos Lawrence for a moment, and forgive me if I am out of line, but as a Laurentian, as a, as a U.S. citizen, I am still amazed that we have to beg for a service that is so underprovided, which is childcare. You know, I mean, you know, when when so much 
of that has to be expanded. We shouldn't be begging. You know, we should all be embracing that there are people like Valor, there are centers like Valor who are putting more of what is asked for them every day to be able to fill a huge void. And so I, I, I thank the staff. I know it's tough work. I, I know how, how tough it is because I've been on that side. And, um, but I think that, as Kyle said, we need to balance all the needs here. And again, in my Laurentian hat, and forgive me, you know, if we can choke the Wakarusa River, surely we can expand Ballard. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Anybody else in the room who wishes to comment? I'd just like to say one quick word. Um, six or seven years ago, I injured my feet and I lost my home. And the Ballard Center was the agency that picked me up where this, this one thing that happened to me changed my life forever. The Ballard Center helped me. And later on, I actually went to work for them. And you know, I, I saw what was happening when Penthouse was closing. Penthouse was connected to the Ballard Center. And I saw that, uh, you know, I, I participated in the discussions and, and I saw how difficult the challenges were to try to keep it all going. You know, can we do a clothing pantry? Can we combine that with a preschool? And, you know, I, I saw how many challenges had to be overcome to do that. And this is another one of those challenges. How, you know, how can we do, we, I'm, I'm, I don't work with them anymore, um, you know, how can we do all the things that we need to do to help somebody who, maybe now they're doing fine, but they're one crisis away from needing them, like I was. And, um, you know, I, I, I give a big part of the credit to the Ballard Center for me having a relatively normal life now. Because, you know, I could have been in that tent city too. And, um, you know, this is just, a, this is another one of those challenges. How do we make it all work? And, you know, I, 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 I pray that this is another challenge that will be overcome because all of that stuff needs to happen for people like me. Thank you. Thank you. You're ready to go to Zoom? We, well, are we done in the room? Okay, let's go to Zoom. All right, Kevin, go ahead. Hi, can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. Okay, my name's Kevin Elliott, um, and my husband and I, my husband Cleveland Snow and I live at 847 Elm Street, just a block east of the Ballard Center. 
I intended to be there in person tonight, and I have a, a petition of support of this variance signed by several neighbors in the 800 block, but alas, I have a flat tire, so I apologize that I'm doing this to Zoom. I'd like to speak to you, though, of four things, planning, civility, neighborhood, and community. This is a pre-code building. The city has kept pushing code to match the building and then reprocessing the code to kind of match the building and kind of reconfiguring the neighborhood to match the code, to match the building. Uh, this building will never match exactly what code is. That's why we have variances uh, for exceptions. This is the exception that, that requires a variance. And the Ballard Center is a stability is a stability in the neighborhood. It's been here as long as I have, since 1965. It's a critical pillar of stability for the community. It is multicultural, it is trauma-informed, and it is centered where the need is. And it's unlikely to go anywhere. It has earned his status as a Lawrence institution. And if anybody's deserving of, of a variance, it would be a Lawrence institution. The Ballard Center is consistent with the look and feel of the neighborhood. And in and the addition does not detract from that. The Ballard Center is not pushing anything on the neighborhood. They have reached out and worked with the neighborhood. As a neighbor, my husband and I support the modernization of the Ballard Center. Keeping a 1900 building out of the 21st century is not a service to Lawrence and not a service to our neighborhood. The community, all of Lawrence, needs an updated Ballard Center. Homeless prevention, at-risk youth, rehousing services. It affects all of us. And few agencies have the track record the Ballard Center has. However, if for some terrible reason the Ballard Center would cease to exist or if something miraculous happened and they were able to move to bigger and better facilities, our neighborhood still needs a community space that meets the neighborhood needs. And this addition meets the neighborhood needs. There are zoning variances all the time, mostly for wealthy white landlords. Let's have a win for the community instead of a doyle for a change. Thank you. Do we have any other Zoom comments? Doesn't look like it. Huh? Nobody. Doesn't look like it. Okay. Uh, in that case, uh, I'm going to take it to the board and see if we have a motion to close the public hearing part of this uh, item. My motion to close that part <laughs> okay. of the agenda. I'll, I'll second it. Second. I'll second. Okay. Um, moved by Hill, second by Palos to close the public hearing. Uh, staff, would you please call the roll? Hill? Yes. Herod? Sorry, I wasn't working. A, I. Palos? Yes. Rankin? Yes. Shalinsky? Yes. Shanunda? Yes. Motion carries. Thank you. All right. So now let's uh, um, let's bring this to the board for discussion and action.
Anybody want to kick off the deliberations? I, I have a question. For, that's actually for staff, I guess. Is okay. that right? Uh, if this were to be approved, it's still going to have to go through the site plan review process? That's correct. And we've actually been working with Connor, and we identified the required variance as part of the site. And so this needed to come first, I assume. That's correct. Okay. Any other questions or discussion? Uh, I don't mind starting this discussion. Please do. Uh, I think <laughs> I think there's three uh, uh, items here that uh, aren't uh, that we need to address. The first one being uniqueness, and I thought, uh, as presented by the Ballard Center, uh, being the only combination uh, of food, clothing, housewares, pantry, and a preschool that meets the KDHE regulatory requirements makes this unique and so I thought it therefore met that criteria and the third one the strict application I think does constitute unnecessary hardship and um, I would be restating their uh, arguments but uh, to do that quickly the safety argument for both the construction and for the children on various levels uh, along with the impact uh, if they were to uh, not have this and, and force a common wall, the structural, uh, closing down the kindergarten, the, ready, the readiness of the children, the safety of the children while it's closed, uh, and the closing of the impact to more than 17,000 households uh, being in and out of the facility during a year uh, and also the mention of the insecurity uh, if closed down for a period of a year uh, give or take uh, food insecurity in the area so i thought all of that constituted an unnecessary uh, hardship and the last one uh, being that the variance does align uh, with the two criteria cited, the uniform building plane and preserving room for both road and utility expansion. So I, th I thought that uh, the arguments given by the uh, Ballard Center were uh, met the requirements uh, for us to uh, agree with the variance. Okay, thank you. Uh, any other board discussion? This is really a difficult one because as everybody came and I know that Ballard provides a good service for the community, but we still have codes we have to follow. There's five requirements they need to meet. 
Um, as for part people breaking into a property, if somebody's going to break into a property, they're going to break into a property no matter what. Having a separate building is not going to stop them from breaking into a building. So on the safety part, on the construction, I don't. My point is people attach buildings next adjacent to each other all day long. It's, it happens daily around the country. So that's my thought on that. I know reading the staff recommendation, it says the proposed variance request constitutes a design preference rather than a development relief mechanism. I comment? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I take your point and I understand it, but I think they've made a very substantial point that it's an operational issue uh, that they want the buildings separated. That, um, and I can't talk about site because I don't know that much about site, but I'm relying on Connor and his team that they discussed this over and over about where they wanted it to be and someone said that was the best site. Um, so I think they have made their point about hardship uh, and, and I think it's an internal operation thing although that's somewhat unique. Uh, it's not, they didn't rely on the financial issue which is huge um, and I appreciate you not trying to make an issue out of that but uh, I think all of us here understand that. But I do agree that there is a hardship here, and I think I agree with Tressa. Uh, this is a unique site uh, in that its age, its um, and it's primarily it's its function, which is also something that we don't normally look at. Um, but you're a public institution, a nonprofit, uh, and you're in a category all by yourself when you do that. There are other institutions like yours, and you've grown to a point where you need to expand. You've been successful. You're helping the community. And uh, I think you've made a very good argument in that regard. So yeah, I think this does meet all five criteria. But I can understand how somebody would disagree with that. <laughs> well, that's why we have a board, so that we can talk about these things. Um, any other board members who would like to weigh in with comments? Okay, well, I will very briefly. Um, Anybody who knows me knows that um, I don't look at drawings on a computer screen. Um, I go out and I look at the site, uh, which I did this afternoon. Uh, it's not that the site is unfamiliar to me at all, but um, Nevertheless, you know, you look at it in a different way when there's a specific proposal that's being made. Um, I 
the thing about looking at a site is that you not only look at the site, but um, you also have to look at the context. And it's true that we've got these codes, and it's also true that these codes are um, citywide. So the setback would be the same uh, if this was a 100 by 100 foot lot, for example, uh, with the same zoning. Uh, it would be the same if it was at uh, Bob Billings and Wakarusa as it would be in North Lawrence, even though these are completely different communities. And I've been around long enough that I could say 15th and Drag Strip Road rather than <laughs> Bob Billings and Wakarusa. But, you know, I, I will give deference to those who have renamed things. Um, my point is that. Um, Within less than a block of this site, um, we have several examples of buildings that are um, at, you know, zero uh, setback from the lot line. So uh, I think that's another thing that needs to be considered in terms of the reasonableness of this request in addition to, um, you know, things that other board members have pointed out. Yeah, we have codes and we have reasons for those codes, but, um, you know, we also have real life. And um, I feel like, um, They've made the case, but I'd like to hear from remaining board members who haven't spoken before we take a vote. Unless you don't want to. <laughs> All right, uh, if there's no more discussion, does anyone have a motion? Well, I'll, I'll make a motion to go ahead and approve it, that it does meet the conditions. Um, and I want to say, first off, I very much appreciate staff's, the depth of reporting that you did uh, and your assessment of this. I just think uh, kind of the struggle we're having right now demonstrates the uniqueness of this project uh, beyond just its physical attributes. But uh, I think it meets the condition for hardship uh, because of its operational um, functions. And I think... 
Uh, what was the fifth one? The in keeping in spirit with the in spirit and intent of the regulations. I believe it meets that as well uh, in regards to the comments that Tressa made as far as the uh, street and the uh, uniformity issue. So I recommend approval. Okay. Uh, do we have a second? I'll second it. Okay, we have a motion and a second. Do we have any further discussion? All right, let's vote. Staff, please call the roll. Staff liaison, Catherine Wake Hill. I agree, approve. Herod. Opposed. Palos. Yes. Rankin. Opposed. Can you repeat that? I'm sorry. Sorry, opposed. Shalinsky. Yes. Shenuda. Opposed. Okay, we have a tie vote, uh, three to three, which is in effect a denial of the application. Okay. I want to uh, thank everybody who came tonight, and I want to thank the board members. Um, do we have any other business tonight? Can you repeat that? Sorry. Are you looking for miscellaneous items? Yeah. Okay. Miscellaneous items. Yeah. Sorry. So uh, just to let you out, we'll let everybody get out of the room here for a second so we can hear. But. Yeah, if you guys are going, that's fine. Yeah. So typically at the end of the meeting, we uh, like to give you the miscellaneous items of whether or not we have any items on the next agenda or next meeting, just so you kind of know. At this point in time, um, we do not have any items uh, scheduled for the meeting. However, October is our month for yearly uh, board nominations and votes. So we will be having a meeting in October. We have also scheduled the city attorney um, to come and give your COMA training or your Kansas Open Meetings Act training. Um, we do that yearly as well. So um, we're going to have a training meeting basically and your yearly votes for your officers. Um, so staff would recommend that everybody attend. Um, since we have the city attorney coming to give your COMA training, um, we like to have everybody uh, get that training under their belt. And then we're also going to do the yearly training for just the board in general. Um, I'm going to try to change it up a little bit this year so it's not the exact same training that you've all had in the past, um, but try to give as much uh, information on the roles and jurisdiction of the board um, in general. So, no items, lots of training and business, however. A new member coming? And we may have a new member. I don't know yet. We are down one member, as you noticed tonight, so we had six. Um, but we may have a new member by next meeting. All right. Thank you. Um, I guess uh, 
I will now ask if there is a, oh, go ahead. Well, I, I've got a question okay. of the staff again. Yep. Um, anything to report regarding the lawsuit that's been filed against the so staff, yeah, staff is not a party to that. Right. Um, so we, I have not had any update from the city attorney's office or from the outside council that is representing the board um, where that is. In fact, you all would probably be more in the loop than we are. So okay. if you haven't heard anything, I, I don't have an additional update for you. Okay. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Anything else? Okay, can we um, have a motion to adjourn? I'll make a motion to adjourn. Okay, that was board member Rankin. Do we have a second? I second that. Uh, we can do a show of seconds. Yeah. And staff, please call the roll. Well, we can do a show of eyes for adjourning. We don't have to call the roll. Okay. Who wants to watch a football game? <laughs> Raise your hand. All right. Thank you. Meeting adjourned. Thanks, everyone. Thank you all for your time. Peter, nice to meet you. Hey, same here. Yeah. I hope Thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.